This is a message from the government about the next stage of controlling coronavirus with NHS Test and Trace. To protect your friends and family, testing and tracing must become a new way of life. If you have symptoms, you need to get a test immediately. Don't leave home for any other reason. If you test positive, we will contact you to trace people who you might have infected. From now on, if you're told you've been exposed to an infected person, you must self-isolate for 14 days. Play your part and do the right thing so we can safely return to a more normal life. Go to nhs.uk or call 119. Stay alert. Control the virus. Save lives. Hello, I'm Dan Worth, and welcome to this latest edition of the TES International Podcast. Our guest today is Paul Topping, the executive head teacher at the British School in the Netherlands. Last week, the school started welcoming back many of its secondary cohort to the brave new world of socially distanced schooling, while also maintaining online learning for those still working remotely. We spoke about how the school has managed its reopening, how pupils have responded to the new environment, and the importance of international school leaders having the necessary support and help around them to do their jobs effectively during this huge period of upheaval. Hi Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I suppose the first question to ask really would just be to get a sense from you about what the last 10 weeks or so have been like, you know, from that initial realisation you were going to have to, to close close the school and, and move learning online, you know, what's that whole process been like? So uh, the word I've used mostly to describe that set of emotions is really it's been a very intense period. Intense because the, uh, the speed at which we had to make decisions around the closure of the school was very limited and the pace that we had to work at to enable an audit shutdown was 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 very rapid and through the whole period of the initial start of, of remote learning through the kind of development of remote learning from one phase to the next as we recognized that we were going to have to spend more time out of school uh, back to the well we're going back to school now because there's been a ministerial announcement as such uh, and therefore, we need to start our planning. All of that has been very, very intense for mm. the staff and for, uh, for for children, obviously, and and for parents and, and the whole school community. And I've used the word intense because it's been it's been a great challenge, of course, with great demands. But it's shown that we can be very flexible in situations of crisis, I suppose, and. The school has really responded very supportively as, uh, mm. to, to all sections of the community. But it's been quite an emotionally draining time, I think, for everybody. We've learned a lot, I suppose, during that time as well. We've had to respond to situations that are unprecedented. I've been ahead for 15 years. I've never encountered anything like this before. And therefore, uh, we've had to tailor our response and not quite make things up as we go along, but certainly think on our feet and act with considerable flexibility to, to get yeah. the best out of a situation. That's interesting. Was there any um, element of what you had to do that you'd ever done? And you sort of said there you've never done anything like this before, this un- the unprecedented nature of it. But was there anything you could at least adapt or was it really starting from, from a blank slate? Well, heads are used to situations where there are some school interruptions. The, the most obvious being for you know, weather-based interruptions or emergency evacuations of one type or another. But
but it's really unusual to have a sustained period of time out of school, certainly more than a day or maybe a, a couple of days. And in those circumstances, it's relatively straightforward to close the school down in an ordered way, move students off site, knowing that you'll be back in in 24 or 48 hours. And therefore, the gap in learning isn't a substantial one to fill. Initially, we, we thought we may be closed for two weeks, uh, well, th three weeks actually, and, and an Easter break, which meant five weeks. Well, that, that's a very considerable gap in the first place. But of course, we ended up being closed uh, for a lot longer than that. The site's mm. being closed, of course, rather than the school itself. We've, we've tried to differentiate between school being closed and school site being closed. And um, yeah, unprecedented is probably an understatement. We've yeah. we not had to deal with anything of this length of time away from school and children away from their classrooms. And, and just as a sort of final point on all that, then, I mean, there's a lot to talk about this, I'm sure, but in, in the main, did it, did it go quite well? Did you find most pupils were able to work to learn, teachers were able to deliver their lessons? Yes, I mean, I, I'm very proud of what we've managed to achieve. I mean, fundamentally, all of the lessons that we would normally teach in school have been available on our on our VLE. Uh, we use Canvas. And so in a timetable day, students have had access to all of that learning. We've developed a real-time approach to some of that learning over a period of time that didn't take place in the first two weeks. Our, our offer was really to, to have work available for students, which teachers could make feedback on and we wanted that as our baseline offer and to make sure we could do that after after two weeks we moved into more real-time approaches and uh, that was certainly appreciated by students and parents and by teachers actually uh, but um it's it's it has gone well I, I have to say i mean it's very interesting back at school now and i'm actually just finishing some year 10 reports and teachers are making comments on those reports about how engaged students were in the period of remote learning it's not been perfect, I've been the first to admit that, from all, all aspects actually, but we really have done our best with it. And coming out of this, we've, we've learned a lot of lessons, I think, that we could apply, you know, uh, if there was any situation in the future where we'd be uh, disengaged from the school site for a period of time. Yes, I think there's that idea that there's actually things here now that are set up for the future, and if this happens again or has to happen again, is very interesting. Maybe we can touch on that again in a, in a bit when we, if we talk about the future of what schooling might look like after, you know, when the pandemic has hopefully sort of passed. passed. But um, you you, you said that about the fact, you know, you started to go back and you're back in school. So, which obviously is really interesting. And I think schools all around the world are at different stages in this journey, but certainly having secondary school children back in and, and managing that return is something that I know a lot of, you know, schools will be focusing on you're obviously in that in that stage now so really i mean can you talk us through that like how did you set about those preparations what, what are some things you you put in place how, how have those first few days gone overall yes i mean it's been a real test of leadership i have to say i mean all the you read the leadership books don't you and the characteristics of leadership around decision making and confidence and honesty and transparency and resilience and empathy and integrity all of those things have been mashed together in a very a condensed period of time to be able to make the planning to come back to school. I mean, we, like, like most head teachers, we, we've been listening to the waiting for ministers to make announcements to send us signals that we can start planning to come back to school. And in the Netherlands, uh, those announcements came a few weeks ago and that's enabled us really to have a kind of two or three week planning period. And it's, it's taken us that amount of time in the secondary school to be 
confident that we can run a timetable and run a curriculum and run an offer really which will meet the demands of the distancing situation which in the Netherlands is 1.5 meters and the gathering situation uh, and still operates a school where learning can take place in in a way that it would normally do in school so yes I mean I, I had Butterflies, I have to tell you, on the first, the first day that we opened, after all this planning, we went through several different models of planning, but it's a bit like starting at the beginning of a school year in September when you've got new co co cohorts of children coming in, mm. or even starting a new job, that, that kind of feeling in your tummy about whether it's actually going to work, um, can I make adaptations if I need to during the course of the, the day or the week, those kind of things really came into play. But it's been very positive and I think, as often happens in schools, ch children are very, very adaptable. And once we had brought them into the school building in a very sequenced and ordered way, uh, at 1.5 metres distance, with the adaptations we've made to the school environment, we, we found that they've settled into their, their, their new environment very well and are managing their own movement around the building in ways which keeps us operating within the expectations that the Dutch government have. And staff have been absolutely superb. I mean, I just, the professionalism of the teaching profession generally has really, for me, come to the fore during this episode. I mean, we have some staff here who've been very anxious about coming back, um, often vulnerabilities in their own families and medical situations in their their own lives or our own families' lives and they've really been absolutely fantastic in making themselves available and being ready and pretty much instilling confidence in the whole school community, children and parents, uh, that we can actually we can do this and, and make it happen. Mm. And then I mean so the various issues there that I think worth delving into are interesting to start maybe with the pupil side of things because you said that they've they've adapted really well and, and it sounds like they've they've followed the guidelines and then what you're expecting of them sort of from the off i mean is, is that fair to say do you, do you think that do they they're understanding the seriousness of it because again you know primary schools have been back and that's a very different way of managing how they'll react to the new sit, uh, setting as opposed to secondary school pupils but in the main you found that they they just got on with it and, and accepted what they've been asked to do yes yeah, so it's taken a great responsibility I, I have to say i mean that you know we have a lot of teenagers here teenagers can be unpredictable at the best of times and we've had to reinforce the kind of proximity rules, especially around the corridor areas, which are probably the most, the most difficult areas for schools to manage. Mm. Children in classrooms, we, we've set up 11 in the classroom, maximum 11 in the classroom, and you have a degree of control over that, of course. Uh, much less easy to monitor movement around a big campus with 11, 1,200 students, although, of course, we've only got half of that number in on any particular day because we're running alternate days mm. but generally speaking the students have been have, have monitored themselves and their own distancing and and how they respond to classroom situations which are obviously very different from they would usually have uh, for example we you know we, we've not been able to carry out practical work in the way that we normally would there's a there's a there's, there's not the movement around classes that we would normally expect and of course, in years seven, eight, and nine, we've kept children in bases pretty much for the day, and teachers have done the moving, which is the opposite to how we would normally 
from the secondary school. At the moment, we just have years 10 and 12 moving because the options and blocking nature of their subjects means that it's impossible to teach them within one particular group. Uh, but year seven and eight and nine are static during the course of the day, and that's a big change for them. Mm. Those, those classroom sizes you talk about, I mean, are you in a sort of privileged position that you're able to do that? Is, that? is that something that you think other schools might struggle to do, having such small class sizes, even if they are doing alternate days? Or do you think that's sort of feasible in, in most secondary school settings? Um, the, the, dif the difficulty is that school buildings are very different and it's very, it's, it's hard to find a one size fits all. Most of our classrooms are actually fairly, this, pretty much the same size. And that's true in some schools. So we, we literally went round with pieces of string to, to measure the desk in this two or three week planning period, measure the desks and, the, and we've removed from classrooms excess furniture where we can. So it's clear where students can sit and we've asked students and teachers not to move any of those desks because we know that there's a 1.5 meter distance between them. Um, I, I think most schools will come up with their own maximum number. Uh, we, we felt that 11 was the, 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 the largest number we can have in school and we've managed our re-entry for students based on that number. At the moment, almost all of our student, students that uh, um, want to come back, we, we've been able to accommodate. So yes, we're fortunate in that respect, but it's taken a great deal of planning and children are changing their mind, I have to say, and parents changing their mind, some wanting to actually stay at home, having decided they wanted to come back to school and vice versa too. We, we're taking students who, who initially were very cautious about coming back, but now really feel that they want to re-engage in school for the final weeks of the school year. That's interesting. So how are you, so does that mean then that your, your teacher's cohort is having to sort of continue to teach both now again, physical lessons and dis, uh, you know, remote lessons or are some just doing remote and some just now in school? No, we, we are asking teachers to deliver lessons uh, physically in school. And because those lessons are on our VLE as a, as a lesson resource in itself, students who aren't in school on their alternate days are accessing that information and that lesson material and teachers where they can are, are live streaming to an extent uh, so that those children that are operating in a real-time situation bearing in mind that some of our children of course are in different time zones not all are back in the Netherlands yet um, where, where we can operate a real-time situation teachers are endeavoring to make material available in, a, in some kind of streamed way. So we, we try to maintain that interactivity that we fought so hard to get into place in the period of remote learning when we're back at school. I see, yeah, so there's still, there's still quite a lot for teachers to, to focus on there though. So, and, and you sort of talked about how they, you know, they also have to do all that and the return to the classroom. And you sort of touched on this, but I mean, how did you help with that? How did you sort of engage with, the, with your teachers and, make sure they were comfortable, you know, address any questions they had, any concerns, mm. how, how did you manage that? So we, we've held um, Teams meetings and uh, staff meetings remotely during the period of remote learning. So I think the, the biggest meeting we had was 170 staff all together. Of course, you've got to have quite sophisticated protocols to make those kinds of meetings work in that setting. But we've built the confidence of staff, I suppose, through those meetings so that when we returned to school, they were they were they had a good mindset about what we could achieve and the priorities we put on health and safety in coming back to school and i i had individual conversations video conversations with with a number of staff who had particular concerns 
Uh, we brought some staff back into the building early. They really wanted to see the environment for themselves physically before they came in. Uh, and and that, that's gone well. I mean, I can't overemphasize how important we, the importance we have placed on making staff feel as comfortable as they possibly can in their adapted environment too. Because my belief is it's, if staff are feeling comfortable, confident, they'll transmit that sense of well-being to students and ultimately to parents. And that enables us all to be able to go about our work in a, you know, a professional way, which uh, takes account of the particular circumstances we're living under at the moment. And I'm just thinking there's so much here that you're talking about that I'm sure, you know, you, you talk there about you've hosted these meetings and, you know, opening the school and all those things and having one-to-one -one calls. I mean, it's you yourself as, as the leader, as someone in making these decisions and being in charge, I mean, have you found this particularly difficult or time, you know, I mean, you said at the start intense, you know, have you had, have you been sort of being able to get support from outside or, you know, do you, have you, how have you made sure you're able to sort of for yourself like operate as well as possible and be there for everyone else? Well, like, like most schools, we have a supportive governing body and the governors, of course, have kept very in touch with the situation over a period of time and have, have been very supportive. Uh, you know, a listening ear, words of advice or counsel. Uh, but it is, going back to the original word I use, it's been very intense. I mean, my, myself and senior leaders really have been working since February, you know, just after February when the whole thing started to uh, appear across the world. And, and it's been... It's been constant since then, to be, to be quite honest. And they've been long days. I mean, if, if you'd have asked me before all this happened, what I thought the working patterns would be if we engaged in a period of eight or 10 weeks remote learning, I simply would have not believed that you'd be, your kind of workload or your, the time involved in your job would have increased by 25 or 30 mm. or 40%. So I, I would have thought that it would have been a, more straightforward exercise. In fact, uh, it's been a real lesson in how all of the online experiences that we're talking about take a lot more time. So meetings that I would normally have in school with members of staff that might take 10 minutes, you know, they take 20 minutes or 30 minutes on, on Teams. Teachers have told us that online lessons uh, will take longer than the prescribed 60 minutes that we have for them because you can't interact in the same way as you would if you were physically in a classroom with children. And certainly everything takes a lot longer and that of course has an impact on how many hours you spend in your, in your, in your job. But in terms of support, the support has been there. The professional community of head teachers generally, I have to say, I mean, across in the Netherlands, I've been in pretty much, well, not, not daily, but certainly twice or three, thrice weekly with uh, colleague head teachers in, uh, in international schools. And uh, that, that network has been very, very important during this period. So. And did that network exist sort of quite strongly already or has it sort of formed around this and the need to sort of reach out and, and discuss both practical thoughts and ideas and even just sort of have someone who can sort of say, oh, this is, this is tough? I think that network existed already, but it's certainly been reinforced in this time, as has the connections certainly between this school and uh, schools in the UK and head teachers that I know well in the UK. I, I think there's a real solidarity in the profession, which means that in these kinds of circumstances, people stand four square behind each other and, and support each other with problems that they're having and issues they're facing, which they may never have faced before in their career. So that, that networking has has, I think, been reinforced and 
one of the good things to come out of this period of time, I suppose, will be that schools will want to continue to build on those partnerships and those, those special arrangements that we've had with uh, particularly local schools. Mm. Well, on that idea, I suppose, of, of yeah, information sharing and networks, I mean, obviously, the, the, the fascinating thing, I suppose, about one of the things is around the pandemic is that every school around the world will have, has been through this and will have an experience and will have insights. Obviously, as we mentioned at the start, you have gone back now with your, your secondary school cohort, which some won't be in that position yet. What are the, some of the, you, you said about some practical things that you did, and I mean, there's an article you, you provided for us as well on our website, there's some really interesting pictures on it of, you know, like bike pens so that the bikes are sort of put apart and things like that. Can you just talk about some of those sort of real practical things that you've done and what, you know, what particularly sort of what has worked and what maybe, is there anything you've changed or that you thought would work what you didn't think about? And then since you've mm -hmm. come back, you thought, actually, what we need to do is this, or we've changed that, that other, again, other leaders and other schools might benefit from hearing about. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we, we, first of all, we changed our entry procedures to a school. So we, we made the decision that we simply couldn't have parents on site. That's very unusual, of course. Parents are pretty much free to wander into school, subject to the usual checks and reception mm. procedures. Uh, we, we're not able to do that at the moment. Um, and we made the decision that we would route our children through different entry points into school. So all the time we're trying to avoid crossing of students and contraflows as well. So our, our drop-off procedures have changed very significantly and children come into the building in a, at a very specified time in a, in a very singularly dedicated way, dedicated entrance for different year groups. And they exit the building the same way. So uh, very different kind of procedures than the, we would usually have. Um, in, in, we talked about the classrooms already and the way we've set the classrooms up. And the, and the flow around the building. We've, we've, we've made a one-way flow. We, we're a three-story building. Uh, it's actually, it's, a, it's quite a big building in, in two halves. So we've put a fairly sophisticated one-way flow system in with lots of signage and arrows on the floor and no entry signs on doors uh, to avoid any crossing. We've uh, changed the bike. We have probably six or 700 children bike to school here, it being the Netherlands. And so we've had to change the bike storage area quite significantly to maintain 1.5 meters, uh, not just within the bike store, but in specially created pens that are taped off with hazard tape. So again, students have got a, an extra capacity in those, in those areas. Uh, we've, taped, we've taped the boys' toilets, urinals off, simply because we, our toilets are in blocks of four, our urinals are in blocks of four. And the two urinals in the middle are too close together, so we're asking students to use the outside urinals. So there's hazard tape in the toilet areas. We're not able to run catering on site. The Dutch government is not allowing canteens to operate and libraries to operate. So we're we're, we're having children having to bring packed lunches. Staff are bringing packed lunches too. So there's a lot of adaptations. We, we've, we're asking our children to come in in PE uniform if they've got PE on that day, because we, we very much want them to maintain physical exercise routines. But we don't have any changing facilities uh, that are suitable for uh, large groups of children. So we've made a decision that students, if they're having PE, must come in in uniform, school uniform, sorry, uh, PE uniform, PE clothing, and stay in the clothing through the day. So not ideal but it, it gets around uh, a particular problem yeah that is interesting and, and like i suppose something that when you actually start thinking about it you realize that yes it's very hard to sort of find a way around that beyond the solution that you've hit upon which like you said maybe isn't it doesn't seem ideal but actually i guess is the most sensible and safest way to do that 
there are some there's some other significant adaptations which are kind of non-physical but for example lots of schools will run end of year exams at this point away from the formal GCSE and A level and IB and, and other exams uh, we run internal exams like like many schools well we, we simply can't do those in the same way because we can't gather the students in the same spaces that we'd normally do and we've we've adapted our day from one hour to 45 minute lessons to kind of reduce the intensity of being in one school room for for, for all of the day so mm. things like uh, those things have, have really they're secondary in terms of the initial planning, but we've realised as we've come back that we we need protocols and procedures for those those situations. We need to communicate those things with parents very carefully, of course, and um, all of that takes time and thought and energy and, and considerable planning, I suppose, as well. Mm. Plus, it rained on the first few days <laughs> when we came back. So, again, the Netherlands is either beautiful and sunny or cold and grey, and after a period of rather lovely weather, which I know the UK shared as well, we uh, we came back and it was suddenly went quite cold and, and wet and rainy. And here we are with our new procedures for entry and exit to the school. And we've had to adapt those even though they've been planned. So we don't have children soaking wet when they come inside the building. Yeah, as I say, the, the weather side of an outdoor lessons is something that I know schools in Denmark, which are on the first back, you know, globally were saying worked really well. But of course, only up to a point, I suppose, in some parts of the world where the weather changes, that's not that feasible anymore. Yes, we're, we're looking, you, you talked about the adaptations we're making being in school and what's worked and what's, what's not worked. I mean, this is the warmest part of the year, of course, and we very much want to get children outside at lunchtime, which we've truncated to a 30-minute period at the moment. But the complications of flow have meant initially that we just, we've said that children must eat their lunches in their bases we're now working towards trying to get the students out in some kind of staggered way through the exit parts of the school onto the school playing field and keep them distanced. So it's a very dynamic situation, I suppose, that, that kind of let's get children back and get some sense of routine back into our work. Uh, we're trying to morph that into let's try and make adaptations which get the maximum benefit out of a situation that we're in. So that learning is as good as it can be but we we have we we maximize the, the freedoms that we have despite the fact we're under still under significant restrictions one of the things that is i know a lot of people have been very concerned about is this idea of how children's you know what their sort of emotional and social well-being will be like after this you know and, and i mean the attainment issue is and the attainment gap in the lost learning is, is a big concern of course but so is that sort of social and emotional side of things is that something that you've sort of, I don't know, in any way instructed teachers to talk about or, or given space and time for? Or are you seeing, are you aware of how pupils seem now that they're back and you're engaging with them? You know, do they seem okay? Are you sensing that there's some of them have had tough times? I mean, how, how are you just engaging with that issue? Yeah, I, I think all of them have had tough times, actually, all, all in very different ways. Uh, there's, uh, intensity has really been felt within the family units, I think. Uh, across the world certainly my experience has been it's been a very frustrating time for students and parents uh, at home whichever year group they're in actually and mm. I, I certainly know in conversations that I've had individually with parents and with students and that teachers are are having as well that uh, this has had an impact on young people and will continue to affect their well-being through this period of uncertainty until we're back into uh, a proper routine and yes, we've, we have 
asked our uh, staff, particularly form tutors and, and heads of year are, of course, they tend to be on the front line of communication with, with students to, to make inquiries into a student's well-being and to respond appropriately. We've had our counsellors actually working. We have two counsellors at the school. They've been working entirely through the remote learning period as well. So we've still been able to carry those referrals out. And our nursing and medical staff have been quite busy at the beginning of the um, return to school ensuring that we really are responding to children's emotional needs as, as much as we're responding to their academic and learning needs of course so yes yeah, so it's a it's a it's a very important part of of what's been going on during re remote learning and very important for us to uh, ensure that we continue to put our emotional well-being of our students uh, right right at the top of the priority lists mm. and, and just and i should say that uh, one one thing that we've absolutely found through the whole process, uh, if there was any ever a doubt, any, any ever doubt as to how much impact teachers have on children, this period has really brought that to the fore because to a person, children have told us they've really missed their teachers. They've, they've missed being in the classroom with them. They've missed the uh, personalities and the characters that teachers have. And they've missed that kind of direct interaction on a daily basis with people who they've got to know very well during the course of the year and um, who you know make a real difference in their lives when it comes to uh, learning. Mm. Which I mean, to presume you know, six months ago they would never have believed they'd be saying that but when you when you have it taken away from you suddenly you, you appreciate what you what you had before. I suppose deep down children often feel that but mm. there are so many things going on in their lives they usually don't articulate that and Perhaps as adults, I mean, I don't know about you, but I certainly I tell stories now about teachers that taught me, and I perhaps look upon them uh, in a very different way than I did when I was at school. Mm. Well, I, I think that kind of time gap has been closed, and children are feeling that now in a way that perhaps they, they wouldn't have ordinarily felt uh, before the COVID epidemic. Mm. If we turn now maybe slightly towards the future, and, and you know, obviously I appreciate it's early days in some ways in what, where you're at and your you know, return to school, but... I mean, I presume your sort of the plan is now to run to the end of term as much as you can as normal in this new setup. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so our expectations are that we'll continue through till uh, mid-July in our current delivery model. We're still waiting to hear any more ministerial announcements because, of course, we're trying to plan as much as we can for September. We don't quite know what that will look like. We're all hoping we'll be back to a sense of routine. Uh, normality by then but uh, we're not quite sure but certainly for the remainder of this year we we're anticipating continuing as we are that yeah and exactly at that point about from september and, and that's you know the, the big sort of point on the horizon that everyone is wondering about and what's going to happen and i mean i fully appreciate you you don't know any more than anyone else but what sort of things are you thinking about in terms of well, what what kind of scenarios do you envision or do you think you might have to prepare for and you know staff sort of stealing themselves the fact that actually normality might not return in September. Yes, for secondary schools it becomes a real issue in September because at the moment of course we don't have year 11 and year 13 in the building because they've passed their exam period and they're preparing for the next stage of their education or higher education. Uh, although we have actually put a block of learning in for year 11 remotely which continues and, until um, actually the 17th of June here. So we've, we've engaged year 11 students in a very specific block of work which has kept them active in learning for this period 
post exams, but but physically they're not in the building in, in NAGRA year 13. Of course, in September, those year groups would be back and therefore our numbers would increase. And we'd probably, if the distancing measures continue as they currently are, we will have to engage in planning to uh, probably readapt our current plan to something different to accommodate those extra numbers. So uh, for all kinds of reasons, we'd like to hear more from the government before the end of this month, because that will give us time to be able to make any, any further preparations for September. Mm. And, and as a leader, that might, must be quite difficult to sort of not have, you know, to be waiting on sort of unknowns, and not being able to fully sort of put a plan in place and say, right, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to achieve that. Have you found that quite hard to sort of have to sort of live in that with that uncertainty or has it been going on for so long now, relatively speaking, that it's just the, you accept it's the, the new way of having to sort of lead a big organisation? Well, I think uh, teachers and principals and they, they, they like to be able to exercise a degree of control over situations and approach that with a sense of calmness and uh, ration, rational decision making, I suppose. And, I, I think we've been able to do that. We have a fantastic team of people here. The senior leadership team has been uh, awesome, really, in, in how it's approached the, the whole situation. Um, but there is a degree of uncertainty about what happens in the short and medium term, and we can only respond with the facts as we know them at the time. Um, uh, we can generate contingencies, of course, which is what we've been doing all the time so that we have models to work from as soon as we have announcements about the next phase. And I think good leaders always have backup plans. Uh, but uh, yes, I mean, it's, it's a very uncertain period and we'll all be very happy when we know that we don't have to distance in the way that we do currently and therefore uh, some of the adaptations we've made to our building, we can, uh, we can dispense with and return to some kind of normal routine. Mm. And, and more widely, and you know, let's imagining a future where, like you said, that's happened, and, and schools more generally around the world are, are back to either you know the, the entirely as normal, or, or in such a way that it's it's kind of you can always operate as usual. Do mm -hmm. you think though that there's anything that you've learned from this period or that's been adapted, you know, particularly on remote learning or the way lessons can be delivered or anything like that that you think could actually become a sort of staple part of education in the future, or things that it'd be, it'd be silly to dispense with just because we can, and actually there's some there's some merit to whatever you know this this way of delivering a certain lesson style or, or adapting that well, most definitely i mean we've i said earlier on we've, we've learned a lot we've learned a lot about online learning i suppose uh, staff have become very technically proficient in using software which they may have dabbled in before but has never been used as a mainstay of learning and i found great benef benefits from that i mean i i've been engaged in some team meetings uh, since i've been back that I would normally have traveled to go to, and really they're just as efficient being operated via a Teams network, and that saved me some time, and um, it's enabled me to use that time in different ways. And I, I'm sure that we will use the technology that teachers have become used to, and children have used, um, in, a, in a much more mainstream way than we perhaps did just a few weeks ago. And, and, and I think the whole procedures for e-learning and assessment are, are open to fundamental change over the next period of time and, and schools will be looking at uh, ramping up their technological solutions uh, so that we can utilize some of the things that we've we started um, to support the kind of 
interactions we have in the classroom with, with students. I'm, I'm absolutely mm. sure that's the case. And I, I think there'll be, a, there'll be a lot of other changes. I mean, I, the whole exam situation has been fraught with difficulty, of course, for formal exams. And I'd like to think that this will signal the possibility of a change. Um, exams have stayed pretty much how they are for, for many generations now in, in their formatting. Um, we're still, of course, concerned about what will happen for current year 10 and current year 12, moving into year 11 and year 13, especially because um, exam boards are, our, our main exam boards are based in the UK and UK students are still not back at school, of course, and may well not be back uh, fully in September. And the impact on those year groups is significant in terms of the content and understanding that they may have missed during the period of remote learning. And, Therefore, will exams have to change again in 12 months' time? Mm. Um, all of those things are, are unknown, and, and, and it may well signal a, a change in how we look at exams. But things like risk assessments, I mean, I'd be very interested to know how many schools have um, pandemic at a high priority on their risk assessments. Um, in, in certain parts of the world, of course, they've, they've had viruses and, and uh, situations which have had to close down schools in the past, but ne never on this kind of scale before. And I suspect that boards and governing bodies and head teachers and principals will look very seriously at risk assessments in the future so that should we ever have to revert to the process we've had to go through, we, we, can, we can have a warm start rather than a cold start on that process. Yeah, that, absolutely. And that, that point you made there about exams is interesting. Are you su suggesting there that maybe more form of assessment, which is you know coursework based or sort of based over the progress they make through a child makes through a year, might be more sensible than a just one off end of end of the year big you know blockbuster exam? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of um, reform of exams in in recent years, which uh, have uh, in in this particular situation has has not helped. Um, the, the kind of process of, of grading of students. Uh, but uh, whether we can actually unpick those processes, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to see some kind of review of exams in their entirety uh, coming out of this. Whether that will lead to significant changes, um, I'm not so sure. But it would be certainly an interesting discussion to engage in. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's all been really interesting stuff and, and you know, really uh, insightful and, and a sort of unique perspective on the, the sort of challenges and, and the ways you, you've managed. I mean, unless there's any sort of other sort of really key elements of this, I think that might be a really good place to wrap up and a sort of a look to the future and, and the way that, you know, the hope that things will change for the better once we've sort of had time to take stock and, and think about how we need to readapt education post-pandemic. Yes, no, I, I think... Um, it's just been a it's been an incredible few weeks of real intensity in terms of leadership and uh, approaches to supporting the continuity of learning as i said at the beginning head teachers want their schools to be open teachers want to be in school and to to teach as well as they possibly can be and it's a great uh, privilege i suppose to be involved in the profession at this time which has had to respond uh, so flexibly to situations and with such agility to uh, ensure that we can continue the good work that we do. Absolutely, no, that, that, that's, that's really great to hear. So um, thank you very much indeed for your time and uh, yeah, hope everyone's enjoyed listening. Thank you.
45% of people admit they spend more time choosing biscuits than planning their financial future. This was revealed in a Sonar survey conducted for Schroeder's personal wealth in August 2019. What's stopping them? There's a perception that financial planning is the preserve of the rich and famous. But a successful plan could make efficient use of anyone's assets. Schroeder's personal wealth provide personalized advice to help you choose the future you want. Search personal finance myths. Fees and charges apply.